In today's show, we're looking at the Oklahoma City Thunder and their 2020-2021 NBA season. Mick Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always, at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you get 15% off your next order. We are here to talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder. And honestly, I could just like, you start this and end this podcast by saying, I got no idea. Like, there is so much weird stuff going on with this team. But there are some interesting prospects that have um, generated quite a few questions. So we're going to talk about all of that stuff on today's show. Let's get stuck into it. The first bloke, well, actually, no, we're not going to talk blokes. What am I talking about? We're going to talk about the team because the Thunder were somehow 22 and 50. Now, that's because they played really well to begin the season. And then they just said, uh, yeah, nah, we're uh, playing too well. Let's pack this shit in. And let's be one of the worst teams you'll ever, ever see over the end of the season. With Al Horford sitting out, Shagudis Alexander suffering a tear of his plantar fascia. Blokes sitting in and out and resting and larger roles given to shit players. And they ended up 22-50. and 50. And They ended up winning the coin flip with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So they're into the fourth spot. They still have equal odds with the Cavs for lottery purposes. But in terms of having the fourth pick... That means that if they do slide down, that they get that advantage over the Cavs, that they'll be ahead of the Cavs if both guys slide out of the lottery. They were the 30th team in offense. And you see, as we go through these players, so many of them just cannot shoot. And that is why they are so bad. 24th on defense. They played at a fast pace, which was useful enough for fantasy. But again, as you'll see, so many of these guys were just so bad that it didn't actually make that much of a difference. They turned the ball over the most in the NBA. They gave up you know, fourth highest free throw rate to their opponents, so just giving up real a lot of cheapies to their uh, to their opposition. About half halfway in the league in terms of three point attempt rate and free throw rate off, on offense, so that's not too bad. But just really, that offense was just so horrendous. The shooting was so bad. The turnovers were terrible as well. They were just a very very bad team who I thought were really well coached, and I thought Dagno did a really and apart from my issue with him mispronouncing his name, your name is Danio, not Dagnot, my guy. Come on. Um, they, uh, I thought they, he was, they coached really well. They were a team whose expected win-loss was 15 and 57. They won seven more games than their net rating would suggest. That is how well that they were coached and how well they played at times. Now, their draft pick situation is interesting. Pick four, as I said, you know, subject to the lottery. They may also get pick five from the Rockets. If the Rockets fall out of the top four, the Thunder get their pick. Now, this thing is about a 50% chance of that happening. So they could have, you know, the thunder, that Thunder pick at pick four could move up to pick one, two, three, four. It might slide all the way back and come back at seven or eight. But they could have two of those picks there, potentially in the top five. Pick four of their own, pick five of the Rockets. Again, that four pick can move around. If Houston ends up anywhere one, two, three, four, they don't get it. They also have pick 18. And then they have two premium seconds, 35 and 36. And 55 is just a, obviously, shit pick. It's nothing uh, nothing interesting there at all. But this is a team that has a ton of first-round picks and a, a draft picks in general. 
coming over the next couple of years. Now, a lot of those aren't particularly good. They might be draft picks in the 20s, first round picks in the 20s or late teens. Um, their own pick is going to always, nearly always be the most valuable selection in there. But this is a year where if the things break right for them, that could really work out well with that four and five pick. Uh, again, could be one, could be one and five, could be two and five, three and five, four and five, five and seven, five and six, whatever it is. Lots of different ways that that can all go down for the Oklahoma City. Or they might just end up with one and that pick might be pick eight, which would be a, not a great result for them if, if that is how things end up turning out. But having those two firsts and those two good seconds gives them a little bit of value as we head forward. Um, Free agents, it's not a huge amount there. You got Svima Luke, uh, you got Tone Bradley, you got Joshi Hall, who were all restricted. Mahay Luke, who they traded um, Hamadou Diallo for, he was all right. Tony Bradley, who came across in a deal as well, was all right. Josh Hall was bad. And Mike Muscala had fake ankle pain for the last two months of the season. He didn't play. He won't be back. But... You know, someone asked me a question, which I won't go through in the question section. Like, what do they do? Like, how do they do with all these draft picks coming in? Well, easily. Mascala's gone. Josh Hall can go. Charlie Brown can go. Tony Bradley can go. Svima Hailu can go if they want. Look, these guys aren't priority players to keep around. They're not like they're in a situation where they're just all tied up in roster spots and uh, these guys just can't can't stick. You know, Kenrich Williams and Isaiah Roby have got non-guarantees for next year. Moses Brown is non-guaranteed, although they'll definitely keep him around. But Muscala, Bradley, Hall, Luke, Charlie Brown, like there's five roster spots right away that you can clear out and you, you get your potential two first-round picks and two early seconds, and they can come in on those spots. All those early seconds can come in on two ways. There are plenty of ways. They're not going to be a big active free agent team. There's no doubt about that. They'll be potentially looking to move off of Val Horford, although that's going to be pretty tough considering he's still owed $52 million, or $54 million, sorry, over the next two seasons. That's going to be pretty hard to uh, to do there without giving up assets, and they're not going to want to do that. So they're not going to be big free agent players. It's just these sort of guys, they just move on from. They bring in the high draft picks, and they see what they where they can develop there. Maybe they want to keep Bradley around. He showed some flashes. I wouldn't have thought Svee would be a high priority, but he was okay. But these are guys that they can move on from if they want to in those scenarios. Guys, when you are looking to move on from a local chain auto store, eh? you can go to rockauto.com because rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Rock Auto, you don't want to go to one of these places that's going to charge you an arm and a leg. The bloke at the counter is going to tell you he has to order the part because there's too many parts and makes and models to keep everything in stock. And then he's going to charge you more money. Because the prices at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low. And they are the same for professionals and for do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And write locked on in there, how did you hear about us box? So that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Okie dokie. First player. Really, really good stuff here. Shea Gildas-Alexander. Unfortunately, Shea played only 35 games. He played 34 minutes a game. He averaged 24, 5, and 6. 0.8 steals, 0.7 blocks, 2 threes. I thought he should have got votes for most improved player. 51% from the field, 80. I think he got maybe one or two votes, but he should have been way higher to me. 51 from the field, 81 from the line, 42 from three on almost five attempts per game. A 62% true shooting on 28 usage on a team this bad is an unbelievable number. 
So what he we saw his minutes they actually dropped by a minute per game, but he scored an, an additional four and a half points per game. His threes went up. His assist rate more than double, or almost doubled. Um, and his efficiency went from 57 to 62 true shooting on a usage spike of almost four and a half percentage points. Like that sort of shit is really hard to do. Free throw rate increased as well. Like some really big things. Now, the thing that did happen is that the steal rate fell off. He was at 1.2 and 1.1 his first two years, and he went down to 0.8 per game. And on a per 36, it's even more stark from 1.6 per 36 down to 1.2, down to 0.8. Like they are big, big drops because he had to focus so much more on offense. It paid off because he was great. Almost 40 fantasy points per game, which is 32nd. 33rd in category league. And I've wrote, I can't believe I wrote 33rd. Um, 30 ADP. So right about the right spot. Mid third round. Can he get higher than this? I think that's the, the question we have to ask. 24 points per game, 0.8 steals. So we look at what Shea did. What can he get better at? 24, 5, and 6. 28 usage. Insane efficiency. I don't look at any of that and go, probably going to get massively better. The one thing I can look at and say is the 24 points per game and the 28 usage, could that go to 26 points and 30 usage? Yeah. Yeah, that's possible. Be a little bit more selfish. I think that the thing that obviously holds him back from being top 20 there is that steal rate. And if that fluctuates back to 1.2, then you're really, uh, you, you are talking top 20. But again, then the thing to look at and go, well, is it realistic for me to expect him to be a 42% three-point shooter and 51 overall? Because if that goes back to 48, then you do lose another 15 spots. So there's a real range here for Shea for me for being the 20th best player next year or the 50th best player, depending on how those two things, field goal percentages and steals, play out. I do think the scoring takes a bit of a leap. Not huge. 24 up to 25 and a half or 26. I think that's possible. But it's going to be efficiency and steals. If efficiency sticks and steals go up, top 20. If steals stay low and efficiency drops, 45th, 50th. And that's where we sit. Now, he was, his advanced stats are really good. Plus 2.8 EPM. That's in the 93rd percentile. That's unbelievable stuff. And he could have been better, really, because he, he could have been a better finisher at the rim, 61% for, at the rim. That's not the greatest number. But his uh, assist rate was really, really strong. 95th percentile there. Turnovers, he turned it over a little bit. He could be, be, he could be better. He was a plus 2.5 in Raptor. Um, which was third on this team. Um, your second in terms of regular players. Obviously, that's a strong number. His LeBron wasn't that great, 0.11. Behind some guys that barely played, though, like uh, Mike Mascala, Darius Miller, Tony Bradley, Gabrielle Deck. I could barely recognize my own dick. So in terms of regular guys, Horford, probably the only guy who's who's really ahead of him there. These other guys barely, didn't even play 700 minutes, uh, even though Horford, Horford... Horford played just 100 minutes more than Tony Bradley this year, if you can believe that. Best category for Shea was his points. His worst was his steals. Again, um, I think he's a star. I think he's going to be a future all-star. He's just about to turn 23. He can have... I think he will have multiple top 25 seasons. Next year, it, it is going to fluctuate. Can he get to the top 10? Probably not. But if he has a season where the steals just come in bunches, then yeah, why not? Really good stuff. Al Horford. Had some people tweet at me about Horford. Oh, what a bust he was. Was he? He only played 28 games and played 28 minutes a night. And the resting was frustrating. There's no doubt about that. But he averaged almost 32 fantasy points, which was 74th. 
He was the 73rd ranked player on a per-game basis for category leagues at 94 ADP. You take a bloke at 94 ADP, and in some cases later, and he returns that value, even if it is for yeah, two-thirds of a season, 60% of a season, or 28 games is actually less than that, it's actually pretty useful value. Now, if you're in a weekly league, it was terrible because he was sitting games left, right, and center. If you didn't have the ability to put guys who are resting and yeah, ruled out into IR, which fan tracks or IL plus on Yahoo allows you to, that, that does make it harder. But on a strictly per-game basis, he outperformed expectations and looked much better than he did the year before, despite playing fewer minutes. His scoring went up. His blocks and that were fine. His rebounds and assists are about the same, but he just scored more points. Two additional points per game, and he hit his free throws at a high rate. And for all the talk about how shit Horford was last year, he was still the 81st ranked player, and then 73rd this year. So he was still okay. And the fact that his ADP drifted as much as it was, I thought it was a little bit ridiculous. But of course, you know, no nobody should have or could have expected that Horford would come in and just not play for the last half of the season. I didn't think that'd be the case. His EPM was good. He was a plus one. He led the team in LeBron at a really big number, 1.37. His Raptor also led the team plus 2.9, and he was a 3.8 defensively in LeBron. But he's 35. And again, two more years at that number. There is, I, I, there's no way I think that they buy him out. I don't think there's any point in that. There is no way that a team looks at that as a positive value contract to trade for him. Can he, can he help teams? Sure. But how the hell do you make that salary match? So I, I, while I liked what he did, he's 35. We saw what happened to 35-year-old Lamarcus Aldridge this year. He just fucking was terrible. Sorry for the language, kids. Like he just dropped off completely, and then retired. So, it, could Horford completely fall in a hole? Sure. Would I want to draft him next year? No, no way. Would I stream him in? Yeah, hundred percent. I just think that there's going to be more of this up and down from him. Because when he's on the court, he helps. Now, I guess this is a question that needs to be answered. The Thunder, they're disgusting. They're disgusting tanking. That, that, that's, mate, it was for two months. They didn't tank to begin the year. Did not. They were actually playing really well. And they said, okay, it's in our best interest to actually be bad here. Try and get ourselves Cade Cunningham. Now, Sam Presti did say some interesting things the other day, saying that when we get to the playoffs... We're there to like make a bang. I'm paraphrasing him. Like he, he's there. We're gonna we're coming in and we're going bang. Like that's what we're doing. We're not gonna sneak in as the eight seed. When we are back in the playoffs, we are coming in and we are showing you the whole Johnson. We are going absolutely full balls to the wall. So that makes me think that they'll be a little bit more cautious again next season. But you add potential two top five picks this year. We'll see how that pans out. You add maybe another top five next year, along with Shea. There's your core. Like, that's your core right there. And then if you get Cade, I think you're already... Cade and Shea in the backcourt, you're already competitive. Like, you're already going to be really good. Um, But I, I do think that Horford at that age, we have to have a significant level of concern as to where he goes from here. Don't, and I don't think that we should have any faith in him being... Per game, maybe he's the 90th best player next year. Total value, not even worth it. And yeah, I wouldn't be holding out hope for a trade or anything along those lines. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The NBA playoffs are absolutely rolling. You can track all that action at Bet Online Upsets Galore. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL playoffs, as well as all your UFC action. 
for the next pitch or the next tip-off, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. And speaking of sign-up bonuses, if you use our promo code LOCKEDON, you can sign up today and get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online are your online sportsbook experts. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors? Plus, they throw in these occasional limited time flavors, which I love. My white chocolate raspberry cheesecake, unbelievable. Coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint, brownie. Which one's your favorite? And if you don't know which one's your favorite, there's an easy solution. Buy a mixed box. 18 bars, nine flavors, two of each. Bang, sort it out, work it out which one is your best. And these bars, they're not only delicious, but they are healthy. Most of these flavors are 17 grams of protein with just 130 calories and only four grams of sugar. And four grams of net carbs if net carbs float your boat. So order today, get that box that you like, raspberry, chocolate, mint, whatever it is, but do it using our promo code LOCKED15. So go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. The promo code is LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Okay, they're the two good players on this team. Let's talk about the rest of this riffraff. And the C-parter, Moses Brown. He had some moments for sure. Yeah, he did. He played 43 games. He played 21 minutes. 24 points per game on Yahoo, 145th, 172nd in category leagues. His best category was really strong rebounding, almost nine per game. His worst was the fact that he didn't hit any threes. He averaged nine and nine with over a block on 54 and 62% from the field and from the line. And as a big man who can't shoot, you'd hope for a little bit more than 54% shooting. That's one of the things that did really bother him after that really hot start is that he came in. Um, yeah, shooting well. Then he was like for, had some 40, 45% type shooting nights, um, which was rough. He was a negative 1.2 EPM. That's not a great number for, for a big man. Uh, yeah, really negative in LeBron as well. Um, offensively, he just had some real struggles there. And if we look at him on Raptor again, his offensive numbers are, are pretty poor. But he showed flashes, didn't he? He showed some interesting things. And all we have to do is even look at the last game of the season from Moses Brown, where he put up these huge performances. But again, we have to look at how they're going to use Brown and Horford. And lots of questions come in about the Thunder. And a few of them are like, hey, have they found their center of the future? And the answer to that is no, right? That's not who he is. Yes, he had 24 and 18 with seven blocks in the final game of the season in 38 minutes. The game before that, he had five and eight. He had a two and eight game in 28 minutes you know, against the Warriors a week before that. So that, that's great to have these big games. And he, he occasionally flashes these really big performances like the 21 and 23 game that he had on 80% shooting, the 20 and 16 with five blocks game that he had, 20 and 12, 18 and 12, two steals, two blocks, some really big performances. But he was wildly inconsistent. And he did have some massively huge offensive problems. Finishing at the rim at 59% as a center is horrendous. Um, great rebounder, terrible passer, great shot blocker, rim protector. Do I think that they will commit to him as a full-time starting center? No, I don't. Again, I think Horford's going to have that role and Brown's going to play a backup y sort of role. Evan Mobley could be on this team next year. And then Moses Brown is a third-string center again. And Mobley gets the backup minutes behind Horford and plays 22 minutes a night. And Brown's not to be heard of again. He's only 21 years of age. He's a, he's a tough one to fully grasp, 
right? Some of this stuff is actually, like, it's really impressive. Some of the shot blocking, some of the rebound, all, all the rebounding is really impressive. And he does have a lot of development still left in him. I just don't view Moses Brown as anything more than a... Like, in terms of young centers, yeah, give me Nick Claxton. Much better prospect. I, I, don't, I don't look at him as this you know, great untapped guy that they have to fire in. Like, he played 25 minutes a night over the last three months of the season, so half of the year. He was 131st. He averaged 10 and 10 with 1.2 blocks. Like, that's... Like, it's fine. And will there be any seasons where he plays 25 minutes a game as we move forward? I'm not actually convinced. Yes, Tony Bradley might not return. Horford might play even less this next coming season. They might fully commit to Moses Brown. And if I'm putting money on it, like, you do it way more on Moses Brown than on Tony Bradley being that guy. But I'm not 100% convinced that he is a franchise cornerstone. Let's look at Isaiah Roby, who was a guy that literally no one would have paid any attention to. Then I watched in the preseason, and in my 30-deep draft, I took him in, my, I don't know, round eight or something. I went, all right, I can see this guy getting some minutes. It paid off for me. He played 61 games, 23 minutes, 21 fantasy points a game. That's top 200. Top 180 in category leagues. He averaged nine and six, a steal, 0.6 blocks, 48, 74. But what the hell stands, stands out there? Like, nothing, really. Like, it's like he's fine. I think that's the best way of phrasing it. He's fine. His uh, EPM was atrocious. His Raptor was horrendous. His LeBron was negative 2.7, like only two players worse on this team. And they were both rookies who struggled big time. So while some of his fantasy performances are pretty good, like his impact stats were bad. And looking across the board here for Roby, like you don't look at anything and go, well, that stands out as being something awesome. He is non guaranteed for next year. Uh, I think they will continue that guarantee. He is, what, 23? Yeah, he's just turned 23. Can he ever have a top 100 season? I'd be pretty doubtful. He shot shot the ball okay to begin with, but ended up just shooting 29% from three. That's that's where the improvement really needs to come. This is his first real season of NBA action. He didn't play as a rookie at all. He played, what, three games or something? Yeah, three games as a rookie. 61 this year. So it's his first real... He played 11 minutes as a rookie, so that's awesome. Um, yeah, this is his first real action. Again, it wasn't particularly good. I'm not really sure what he does that's awesome. He's more just a guy that can be solid enough right across the board. Ty Jerome. Again, how do we how do we judge it? He's about to turn 24, so he's not particularly young as a second-year player. He averaged 11 points with 3.6 assists. In those 24 minutes, he hit over two threes a game, another excellent three-point streamer, 45 and 77, hitting 42% of his threes. And that's part of how he came into the NBA as an elite three-point shooter. He averaged 20 fantasy points per game, top 200 in categories, top 200 in points. The worst was his rebound numbers, but couldn't win the starting point guard job over the Salt Flake, Theo Maladon. And Maladon was, by most metrics, the worst, one of the worst players in the entire NBA. Jerome had some moments as a really good shooter, again, but another guard coming in, another two guards coming in, the return of Shea Gildas-Alexander. I wouldn't be you know, massively excited. I thought that the shooting was great, obviously. 59 true shooting in really his first yeah, time as an NBA regular rotation regular. He missed the start of the year with a significant injury. He only played 33 games, and he showed enough to be a... Eighth or ninth man, best case scenario. 
Can he ever be a top 100 fantasy player? I'm not sure what he's going to bring, but if he does find himself in a 28-minute-a-night role, which is hard to see, three threes, five and a half, six assists, there's value in both of those things. I don't know what else he does. He doesn't do anything else. No steals, no blocks, no rebounds. Not a high-usage player. Not a good defender. Um, but there is uh, there is some fantasy appeal there. Let's talk about the Oklahoma City mudflap. Kenrich Williams, who is just a bloke that is, if he's on your team, you love him. Like, you just love him. 22 minutes in 66 games. Eight points, four rebounds, two assists, 0.9 steals, 53 from the field. Interestingly, just 57 from the line. He shot 44 from three, which I think is one of the fakest numbers you'll see. He averages 19 fantasy points outside the top 200. Good field goals, bad scoring. But he just, like, hey, we need a point guard. Kenrich, can you do it? No worries. Like, that's the sort of player that he is. Like, he just goes out there and, yeah, and puts up puts up numbers and, uh, and, and can help. Finish at the rim at a pretty high rate. 66%. Mid-range shooting was really good. Three-point shooting was excellent. But remember, he shot 26% from three last year. So up to 44. I uh, am pretty skeptical about that sticking. His advanced numbers were pretty strong. He was a positive in Raptor. He was a positive in... Oh, sorry, just a marginal negative in EPM. His LeBron wasn't as good, negative 1.33. And the thing about Kinrich is he's already 26 and a half, and he'll probably be at 27 by the time next season starts or around that time. Is he a part of their future? He's got two more non-guaranteed uh, years left, two million apiece. I, while he's great to have around, a great piece, he's not a priority in my opinion. And there's just so much that would need to happen for him to have any sort of real fantasy value. Now, if you've noticed the pattern on these shows is I go through them based on per game value in category leagues. And there are two names here, actually four names here, who were regular starters for this team that I haven't spoken about at all. And that just shows how bad they were. Let's talk about one of them now. No, my son is also named Bort. Ludort played 52 games, almost 30 minutes a game. So opportunity wasn't really a problem. He averaged 14 points per game with over two threes. Okay. 3.6 rebounds, 1.7 assists, 0.8 steals, and 0.4 blocks. 39% from the field, 74 from the line. He hit 34% of his threes. He had a 22% usage, which is insane for a player that's not a good offensive player. Now, in all fairness to Lou Dort, he is a guy that is an absolutely elite defender. And when I did my all-defensive teams, I felt really bad about not having him on there. I could have easily had him on there. Defensively, he's great. He also gets hyped out of the absolute asshole for fantasy, and it's ridiculous. Points leagues, fine, he was all right. 23 points per game, Yahoo points. That's still just 154th. 225th in category leagues, and he did that on the back of hitting just a ridiculous amount of threes because the team had no one else to take shots and they were using him as the number one usage player, which is nowhere near his role. And I feel bad for the guy that he's pushed into a role that, he, that he's not not for. And when Shea comes back, like he's nowhere near that. But he was a guy that you know, was drafted, 139th. I was not keen on him in the pre-draft. We'll talk about guys that I was keen, sort of keen on. We'll talk about them later. I wasn't keen on him in the pre-draft process. I wasn't keen on him when he had that 42-point explosion, saying there's a lot of fakeness with this. And I think we've seen it over the body of his two years, or one one year and a bit, that 
he just isn't a great fantasy player because that efficiency is rough. Like it's really rough. But you know, impressively, take doubling his minutes, getting that usage from 14 to 22, and maintaining real high defensive efficiency or uh, intensity. But the th- shooting, 52 true shooting just doesn't cut it. 47% at the rim is horrific. It is horrific. It's fifth percentile. 34% on mid-ranges. Atrocious. Does not rebound the ball at all. Can't pass. Higher turnover rate than assist rate. Even for a good defender, no steals, no blocks. This is why he's not a very good fantasy player. Plus two for Raptors, a strong number. Yeah, it is. Negative 1.26 for LeBron, not that great. And he's 0.8 EPM is pretty good, 75th percentile. It's all some okay numbers. But we overhype this guy because we love the intensity that he shows defensively. And he's one of those guys. And again, I harp on about this all the time. And it happens with young players uh, almost exclusively, is they have a big game. Whoa, Lou Dot, 42 points. Dot season. Let's dot SZN. You know, one of the... I should mute SZN or SZN uh, on Twitter because I hate that phrase. Because we look at that and go, 42 points, Lou Dort. Yeah, everything's running through him. Look at how much he's handling the ball. That's sick, man. We've got to fire up Lou Dort. And then, yeah, he has these injuries. And he has a couple of other big games after that. And then we just see 10-pointers and 10-pointers and 7-pointers and 8-pointers and a complete lack of defensive stats and a complete lack of an ability to hit shots. So, well, well, that was there was no doubt that was a great game. 42-7-3, four steals, seven triples. Ridiculously good game, like unbelievable. And then he followed up with 26-6 and six and 29-4, and four. like they're good numbers. But he is not the guy that should be having this level of usage. His last four games, he shot 21, 19, 23, and 39%. He had one steal in those four games, and he combined for 43 points in four games despite having a usage of 25 or over in all of them. So he's going to get drafted again in category leagues and probably in points leagues um, and probably way too high. And he'll more, I would be, that 22 usage, I would be pretty surprised if it maintains for this coming season. Am I a hater for Lou Dort's season? No, I'm not a hater at all. I think he's great. I love, I love, I love what he's done. I think he's been fantastic. But we need to be realistic in our expectations for players. And that brings me on to Darius Baisley. Um, let's get a couple of things out of the way with Baisley. I loved picking him in the last couple of rounds, like 12 or 13. Um, loved it. I knew he was going to start. I knew he was going to get shots. I knew he was going to get minutes. That was all accurate. I didn't think he'd be absolutely dreadful in all of those minutes. But what I did say is I do not think that Darius Baisley is a core piece of this team. I do not believe in him as an elite prospect. I think that he he's found himself in an opportunity to play. I've even said multiple times, I think Pokyshevsky is a far better prospect and a guy who's going to take this role eventually. But it was like, here's the opening. It's wide. He's going to slot in and maybe he can just get by. Turns out he can't. 55 games, 31 minutes. So that's fine. 26 fantasy points per game is actually all right. 121st. That's sort of bang on where he was drafted. 140th was actually his ADP, but I was taking him higher in that 100, 110, 120 range. And, and that's fine. 130. So in a points league, that, that worked out. In a category league, atrocious. Under 14 points. The seven rebounds are nice, but he generated no steals, half a steal, half a block, 39.6 from the field, 70 from the line, 
29 from three. Couldn't pass. Couldn't score. Couldn't shoot. He was just really bad. And he's young. He was pushed into a role that he's not ready for, obviously. They were making him do things that he shouldn't be doing. And that's part of development. And maybe that holds him in really good stead as we move forward. But a negative 4.1 EPM is just horrendously bad. Negative 2.49 Raptor is, is bad. Negative, sorry, negative 5.2 Raptor is bad. Negative 4.2, uh, 4.9, 4.2, sorry. Negative 2.49 uh, LeBron is really bad. He was just bad um, pretty much everywhere he played. Pokyshevsky is going to be in the mix next year again for minutes. Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley. Who knows what they do? I do not look at Baisley and say guaranteed top 80 prospect in the next three years. No way. I just don't view him that way. But I do think that he can shoot better. Confidence in that. I do think that the defensive... He can average 1.2 steals and one block a game. I think that's possible for him if he gets the minutes. But the shooting is so bad, I'm not sure I'd want to give him those minutes. So my faith in him is... Lower than where it was to begin the year, even though I wasn't particularly high on him to begin the year, but it has dropped off. Let's bang through some of these guys now. Tone Bradley, 42 games, 16 minutes. He averaged 18 fantasy points. He was 235th in category leagues. He had some moments for sure. The 67% from the field was really good, but again, they moved his minutes around so much. Some games he'd play, some games he wouldn't. Horford will be back for at least half of next season. I don't know if Bradley will be back. He had he had some solid opportunities. He had some solid moments on this team, but does he profile as any sort of future star? Nah. Look, he's 23 years of age. He's EPM at plus 2.3. He's really, really good. He's LeBron was second best on the team. His Raptor was a positive offensively and defensively. All of those numbers were really impressive. But is he special in any way? Is he a good shot blocker? He's an all right shot blocker. Good finisher? Yeah. Passer? No chance. Rebounder? Yeah. Fine. Scorer? No. Three-point shooter? No. Can't do any of those things. He can be useful. I just don't really see it for him, and I'm not sure they should be prioritizing bringing him back. Teo Maladon. 65 games, 27 minutes a game. Maladon started a bunch of games because of injuries. The injury to George Hill, and then the injury to Shea Gildas-Alexander. And he was one of the worst players in the NBA. Negative 5.1 APM. That's sixth percentile. He shot 49 true shooting. That's horrendous. He finished 41% of his shots at the rim. That is first percentile. And first might seem good. It is not good. That means that 99% of people in the NBA were better than him. His mid-range shooting was bad. His three-point shooting was bad. His rebounding rate was pretty poor. His assist rate was all right. 20% assist rate. But 17 turnovers is not ideal. Steal rate wasn't particularly good. Maladon averaged 10, 3, and 3.5, and 0.8 steals, shot 37 and 75%. So that's Dort, Baisley, and Maladon, who all shot under 40% from the field. 34% from three from Teo. He had the worst LeBron on this team as negative 4.63. His Raptor was a negative 7.9, a, a, a horrific number. Can he be better than this? Absolutely. He's a young point guard. He showed some flashes to me. But the shooting is just a gigantic worry. It is a huge worry. I I am convinced that he is not this bad of a shooter, right? 34% from three, 75 from the line is all right. But the absolute inability to finish at the rim was a concern of his pre-draft, and it was worse. 
He needs to get stronger and more aggressive, and I'm not sure that's going to be there. Again, what is his role? Shea should be the point guard on this team, and he will be. Um, and then a top five draft pick could come in as another guard. I look at Maladon as going, well, you were given this big opportunity. You were thrown in the deep end. You just turned 20 as well. Like, he's not old, but I don't have, I don't know, I don't have huge faith in Maladon. Again, he's not a key piece. Second round draft pick who was okay given the fact that he was pushing this role, but honestly, he was just shit house for most of the year. Gabrielle Deck. I could barely recognize my own dick. 10 games, 21 minutes. 19 fantasy points, 265th in category leagues. Shot the free throw as well. Averaged eight and four. Didn't block a single shot. And he had 0.8 steals. Good efficiency numbers. 55 true shooting. He came out. He competed hard. Is he anything at all for the future? And by future, I mean like the next year or two. Because he's already 26. I'm not sure. Like I don't really see... His mid-range shooting was unbelievable. 64% in those 10 games. That's going to fall off. Where does he fit with Roby, Pokashevsky, Baisley, Dort, Horford, Brown, all these front court sort of players? He's more of like an undersized four rather than a three. And I, I, just, I just, I don't see it. I love him because I love the sound bite for him. But he's a 6'6 power forward whose rebounding was pretty good, especially offensively. But where's the pop? Where's the wow factor? I, I, don't, I don't really see it for him. Here's the other bloke that you've been waiting to hear about, Mike Muscala. I'm joking. 35 games played, 18 minutes a game. Didn't play the end of the year. Shot 92 from the line, which was pretty solid, but this dude's 30 years of age. Um, he shot 37% from three. He was really good there. He probably needs to find a good team, a contender, where he can come in and play like the Mike Scott role. He's not anything to worry about for fantasy, but this is actually the block that we want to talk about, and that's Alexei Pokashevsky. Pokashevsky was terrible to begin the year. Went to the G League and came back and was okay. But still, 275th ranked category league player. 220th in points at 19 points per game. Along with Dort, Baisley, and Maladon, Pokashevsky shot under 40%. Shit, no, he shot under 35%. 34.1 to be exact. That is an incalculably bad um, field goal percentage. It is, it is just ridiculous. 49% at the rim. Yuck. 34 from mid-range, horrendous. 28 from three, what are we doing? Negative 7.1 EPM, it's, it's ridiculously bad. It is so, so bad. But still, eight and five, two assists, a block in 24 minutes, 74 from the line, hit a three per game at 28% only. He's not going to turn 19 for another, sorry, not going to turn 20 for another seven months. Seven? Yeah. He doesn't. He turns uh, 20 in December. He is ridiculously young. So if we want to look at Maladon or Dort or Baisley or Jerome or Roby or Brown, the guy we look at is Pokyshevsky. That is the guy who's got the upside. The advanced stats tell you he was shithouse because he was. Negative 9.1 Raptor. Negative 4.1 LeBron. Like hor horribly bad numbers. But a bloke that hits threes, grabs boards, gets assists, blocks shots, and can be a good free throw shooter, there's enough there to work on. A seven-foot point guard who plays small forward slash... Don't get me wrong. He is not a center and should never play center. So don't get that into your head. He's a power forward, small forward type who can be an initiator, secondary initiator, 
with, but the shooting just needs to improve. 43% true shooting. It needs to get better. It will get better. And is he a draftable player next year? That's going to depend on a lot of things. Uh, I, I think he's got 20% chance of having multiple top 60 seasons. Yeah, he could just never, the shot just may never eventuate and he might ne- not ever be able to play big minutes. But out of all of these guys, Maladons and Baisleys and Dorts and Jeromes, Broby, Brown, all those guys, this is the guy that we want. Despite being the worst out of that group this season. Let's look at Svima Hailuk. He played 66 games, 20 minutes. He just turned 24. 1.6 triples on 33%. He's a guy that's a shooter who hasn't really proven that he can shoot yet. And you've had a few years to do that. You haven't done it. You're a restricted free agent. Like, really? I'm not... I'm not. That's, to be fair, he shot 40% from three last year. Um, but fell off again this year. Shot 33% as a rookie. Mid-range shooting's not there. Not a good finisher at the rim. Not a great defensive player. Well, his steal rate was pretty good this year. Um, I, I, just, I just don't really view him as an excellent player. He played some point guard at times this year, but not a guy that we look at as some sort of excellent option moving forward. And really, really not sure where he goes in restricted free agency. Jalen Hall played 19 games, 17 minutes there. Yeah, nothing particularly spectacular, I didn't think, with Horde for this season. He... Um, he averaged, what, six points, three rebounds, 50 and 68 from the field and from the line. Nothing spectacular, same as these last two guys. Charlie Brown, 9.17 minutes, 4.22 in category leagues. And then Joshy Hall, who, who's a guy with a bit of intrigue, but I talked about guys like Maladon and Pokashevsky being the worst player in the NBA. Josh Hall is the worst player in the NBA this season, I think. Minus 9.1 APM, that's like zero percentile. True shooting of 36% in his 336 minutes. Third percentile finishing at the rim. from the line. Doesn't generate steals or blocks. High turnovers. Like, just honestly bad. Didn't play college ball last year. He's still 20. He averaged four points on 30% shooting. 11% from three. 11. 11. Um, A long way to go for Josh Hall. Showed some athleticism, for sure. There's There's no doubting that. Um, and I think defensively, he was okay at times. Actually, he was, pretty, he was pretty solid defensively. But offensively, just absolutely no idea. And if I'm taking a flyer on Mahailuk, Horde, Brown, Deck, Hall's got more upside than those guys. But I wouldn't get too excited about it. Let's answer a couple of questions um, for these uh, for, for this team. Uh, okay, let's have a look. I just want to answer this one because it's good. OG the third says, is Charlie Brown Jr.'s dog's name Snoopy Jr.? <laughs> Jr., that's a really, really good question. I don't know. Hopefully. Um, Mr. Power Metal says, with so many young prospects expected next season and given their predisposition to tank and rest players, are you concerned that no one from this OKC team is safe to draft as a full season contributor? That is a huge risk. I think we're going to get more of an indication there uh, based on what happens in the draft and what they do. Look, if they get Cunningham, I think that they'll be too good to um, to completely tank. But yeah, we won't be drafting guys. So the only guy that's really going to come into consideration as a high pick is Shea. Um, yeah, guys like Pokashevsky will be a late pick, if anything. Horford won't bother with him. Mo- Moses Brown in the last round. That's really all you do. And I think that the the, the risk... The thing that is also overblown a bit with this team is, is Horford sat down. No, There's no denying that. Tony Bradley, Kenrich Williams, Ty Jerome would have random rest, but these aren't key contributors. Dorts, 
Baisley's Dort, Dort had legitimate injuries and he sat back-to-backs because of that. Baisley played every game apart from when he had the shoulder problem, which missed a chunk of time. Then he played every game. Yeah, Brown played every game and started all those games. Minutes went up and down, but he, he started and played them all. Maladon played all, all games. He didn't rest games. So while we look at it and go, you know, they're going to tank and rest players and all this sort of stuff, they didn't do that as much as what we might think. Um... Nathan Worm, what is Moses Brown's ceiling? Uh, look, he can have a top 50 season. I don't think he gets there. And he says, is Lou Dort a top five defender next year or even now? I don't think he's there now. I think he's not far away. Can he get to that level? I would say top 10 is probably more realistic for Lou Dort. That'll do it for us today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. While on YouTube, hit the thumbs up, leave your comments down below, ring the bell. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.